0: Conversation night after night shows me that same old picture and all black and white. That's the love of my life. I'm looking for all dreams. Ghoulish greetings, everybody. Those tunes, of course. Our courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Now recently it was brought to my attention that I have gotten a new review, and you guys, thank you so much for those who take time to do a review. It does mean so much, and it just makes my day, hell, it makes my year when I see them. It just... It's completely a phenomenal thing. So I just wanted to read that real quick. And it's from The Mama Kitchen. She writes, fabulous podcast. Love hearing a Pueblo, Colorado local interview others and guide them to tell their paranormal stories and experiences. I absolutely loved the latest episode with Jodi D. Joy. It was absolutely wonderful. Thank you for sharing these amazing people and stories with the listeners. And that is a five-star rating. So thank you so much, The Mama Kitchen. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> I, you guys, can you believe that it's already April? Like, seriously? Just seems like yesterday it was April Fool's and people were playing tricks on each other. Hopefully some good spectacular ones. April 9th marks the 3 year anniversary when i first started this podcast and it just it's to me it's just amazing i 3 years has gone by and it's just going to continue to get spookier and spookier you know i've i've had over 70 countries listen several thousand people listen and it just means the world to me it, it really does that you make me part of your day You're always welcome to come over and hang out with me. In his 31 short years on Earth, Elmer McCurdy sure made a name for himself, and not a good one either. He was dubbed the Bandit Who Wouldn't Give Up, or also known as the Embalmed Bandit. His home life as a young man was anything but normal, far from it sadly. He soon becomes an alcoholic and often gets into trouble. He lost his family one by one, and I'm not talking about some some serial killer thing, but you know, from causes like kidney failure, tuberculosis and what have you. Well, in 1907, McCurdy joins the army. Oh, yes where at Fort Leavenworth, he becomes a machine gun operator. And short of one year before his sudden death, Elmer is honorably discharged. He, along with an army buddy, while well, they begin to travel. During their travels, just a few days after leaving the army, really, he is arrested for burglary. He spends a couple months locked up. And after a short while, he is found not guilty, and eventually he is released from jail. And, mm, I don't know, he probably should have just stayed there because after being released, he immediately starts to rob banks. Give me my money. And robbing trains. The man is sitting there, listening intently to the conversation between two people in the distance. That there train has a safe with over 4,000 big ones on it. Oh my, Hank, I can hardly believe that. Months before Elmer McCurdy dies in March of 1911, he eavesdrops on a conversation that demands his attention. Word is that the Iron Mountain, Missouri Pacific train has a cart that has over $4,000. Today, that's equivalent to $118,378. While it's known that Elmer and his gang did manage to successfully get on this particular train, and even to the specific cart, it is here that things, well, they go terribly wrong. Too vigorous in their efforts, they blow up the safe with all the loot, and almost all the money's destroyed due to the explosion. Even the coins were almost completely melted. Too vigorous indeed. Well, the day is October 4th. The year 1911. Elmer J. McCurdy's life is about to expire in just a matter of days. His last hoist was a train robbery that should have been featured on World's Dumbest Criminals. It will change his life forever and not the way he was expecting nor wanting. He got on the wrong train and ended up leaving with very, very little money, and a bit of whiskey. Considered to be one of the smallest in the history of train robbery. Uh, can we say epic fail? Epic fail. He escapes with the little he managed to get, and at this point in his life, he's not doing very well. You know, obviously he's on the run, he is also suffering from tuberculosis, Well, that night, he drinks the whiskey he had stolen, and he just kind of passes out drunk. Little did Elmer know, but as he snored away, the remaining time he had left to live, there was a surprise waiting outside for him, and quite the unwelcome one at that. A posse of three sheriffs, the Fenton brothers, Stringer and Bob Fenton, and Dick Wallace, along with their very trusty bloodhounds, have the train-robbing drunk surrounded. He was sleeping in a hay shed, and the lawmen decided to wait it out until he came outside. Sheriff Bob Fenton describes that fateful day. It began about 7 o'clock. We were standing around, and we were just waiting for him to come out when the first shot was fired at me. It missed me, and then he turned his attention to my brother, Stringer Fenton. He shot three times at Stringer. And when my brother got undercover, he turned his attention to Dick Wallace. He kept shooting at all of us for about an hour. We fired back every single time that we could. We do not know who actually killed him. We found one of the jugs of whiskey, which was taken from the train. Well, it was empty. He was pretty drunk when he rode up to the ranch last night. Now, as Sheriff Fenton said, all three were shooting at the outlaw McCurdy. It's really unknown who the fatal shot came from, but what is known is that one bullet hit him in the chest, and that was the fatal blow. His time as a train robbing outlaw didn't last long at all, and in life he traveled, and in death, guess what, he traveled even further. His story after death is truly amazing, and one for the damn books. When Elmer McCurdy was killed, his body was taken to Pahuska, Oklahoma, where Joseph Johnson, an undertaker, takes control of the body. He was kind of shocked when no one came to claim the body. He figured that in time, someone would eventually come asking for McCurdy. But, you know, really, there were no surviving family members. And if there were, they sure as hell weren't interested. But Joseph, he held on to hope that someday someone would come outlaw or not and someone's gonna be missing this guy you know so he does what any other undertaker or what most would do using an arsenic preservative he preserves the body so when the day comes for him to you know go away he's presentable and most important he's recognizable Joseph grooms the corpse, even putting the body in a nice suit for burial. He then places McCurdy in the back of the funeral home where he literally just kind of sits and waits. No one comes. No one cares. So why doesn't Joseph Johnson wipe his hands from it? Just bury the dude. Count his losses. Hang up his hat and coat. Perhaps have some coffin varnish and call it a day. Well, um, I don't know, I'll tell you why. You see, the Undertaker had worked hard on Elmer, like he does on every single other corpse that comes through his establishment. He spent time, money, and product on this here corpse, and by golly, he was damn well going to get paid for his services. He downright refuses to bury Elmer until he gets his money. Well, as days turn into weeks and weeks into months and you get the drift no one comes claiming the remains Joseph knew he was running out of time and he knew that he had to do something and kind of quick a thought suddenly pops into his head and oh boy baby please that light bulb is brighter than hell so you better look away if he won't get paid by a family member why not get paid by the public give me my money He did have a bad boy outlaw on his hands. Why not turn his situation into an opportunity? An opportunity for him to make some real moolah. Johnson takes the body out of the burial suit and puts him in some old raggedy clothing. He props the corpse up as he wishes and puts a rifle in the dead man's hands, displaying him in the funeral home. Attention, attention. Come now. And for a nickel, you can see the outlaw Elmer McCurdy himself. Come see for yourself. A train robber. Well, word gets around town that Elmer is at the funeral home, and a nickel back then in 1911 is a buck forty-eight today. This proved to be a great idea. Perhaps it was too great, too grand. Several came to see the outlaw, including some circus and carnival folk who kind of wanted to get him for their own attractions. Suddenly the man, who nobody wanted to claim for I don't know how long, becomes popular overnight. They offer the undertaker to get McCurdy off his hands and buy the corpse from him. This is kind of what he wanted from the very beginning, to simply get paid. But no, Joseph Johnson was no fool. He damn well knew he was sitting on a gold mine. One day short of five years, one, two, three, four, five, five years to the day that Elmer died, the funeral home phone rings. Yellow, a man on the other end. Hey, I hear you got my brother. You want him now. The mysterious caller claimed to be Elmer McCurdy's long lost brother. Oh, my. He went through the local sheriff's office, claiming that he wanted nothing more than just to give his dear, sweet brother a final resting place. It's been five years. It's time for him to rest. Well, better late than never. The man, along with another man who also claims to be another long lost brother, how convenient, come in through the doors ready to take control of the body and put him on a train to go get buried. And I'm sure this was much to Joseph Johnson's dismay and to the strange men's delight. Turns out the two men did not have one drop of blood to connect them to the outlaw. They themselves were brothers, but no relation to Elmer McCurdy. They were in fact carneys and owned a traveling carnival. They saw the success the undertaker was experiencing and They wanted a taste of that sweet moolah, that cash flow, that green nectar, that good stuff. And Elmer J. McCurdy was going to be their ticket, their cash cow. The men, they were happy. This proved to be a very good success for them. Elmer was a hit for that traveling carnival. Come one, come all, y'all won't be disappointed. The one and the only Elmer McCurdy, the outlaw who will never be captured alive, see him now or forever be disappointed. That's what he was featured as, the outlaw who would never be captured alive. Eleven years after Elmer's death, the brothers slash thieves sell their carnival and the traveling corpse of Elmer to a man named Louis Saunry, who then used the body as part of the traveling museum of crime. Through time, the body traveled all over the place. He eventually ends up as a prop. Even making a cameo in the 1967 movie She Freak. That same year, he, along with wax figurines, are sold for $10,000. Today, that's over $84,000. Sold to the Hollywood Wax Museum. In 1976, Elmer, who at this point has been dead for over 65 years, you guys, I mean, oh my God, he was being used as a prop and attraction in an amusement park in Long Beach, California. Where he was just kind of hanging out in a funhouse. And I mean, literally, he was hanging. At this point in his death and travels, he had changed hands and businesses with so many people that in 1976, no one actually knew that he was dead. People just kind of assumed that, hey, that's an old movie prop or something to that effect. Well, let's fast forward to a few days into December. TV show The Six Million Dollar Man is filming here, and someone goes to move the hanging body prop only to make a grim discovery when the arm breaks off. When this happened, it revealed bone and muscle tissue. Something that a prop certainly would not possess. Throughout the years, his body had sure been through the old ringer. His body was actually covered in some weird wax and also a day-glow paint. While going over the body of the L.A. County Coroner's Office, they found in his mouth a 1924 penny and several tickets for the Museum of Crime. They also found what caused the mystery man's death. He was killed. A copper jacketed bullet was in the man's chest. During inspection of the body, they also discovered a special type of embalming fluid, one that hasn't been used in quite some time, a fluid that was used back in the earlier 1900s, certainly not today. Don't cry for me, don't shed a tear, I've been set free. Elmer was put into a simple but beautiful pine coffin, and a horse-drawn hearse transported the outlaw to his final resting place. This will be the traveling corpse Elmer McCurdy's final trip. Over 300 people attend the funeral. On the 22nd day of April of 1977, 66 years after he was shot and killed, the short-lived outlaw, who died at 31, was finally buried and laid to rest in Summit View Cemetery in Guthrie, Oklahoma. I pass through Guthrie mm, a few times a year, probably, during my travels. I may have to stop by and visit the traveling corpse of Elmer J. McCurdy, who hopefully now is the resting corpse. Time to rest. You traveled more than enough. Well, McCurdy's cemetery neighbor is none other than stagecoach robber Bill Doolin. Knowing he was somewhat of a celebrity... And not wanting to tempt the grave robbers, two feet of concrete was poured over the casket of McCurdy. Very smart idea. But even then, some have managed to break off tiny little pieces of the outlaw's headstone for a little souvenir that does not belong in their hands. In life, he traveled. And certainly in death, he traveled even further. I couldn't find any proof, but it's believed that while alive and during his travels that he spent time in Colorado, and it's believed while here that he killed a man. Again, I'm uncertain if this is accurate or not, just some rumor. The embalmed bandit's head marker reads, Elmer McCurdy shot by Sheriff's Posse in Osage Hills on October 7th, 1911, returned to Guthrie, Oklahoma from Los Angeles. County Coroner for Burial, April 22, 1977. The bandit that wouldn't give up has been featured in film, books, comic book, and much more. His story, it's unique and bizarre. Not many can say they lived 31 years but traveled 66 after death. Very bizarre indeed. I sure am glad that he is now finally resting. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They are equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? Well, just head on over to any of those podcast platforms, such as iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Wherever you may roam to listen to your other phenomenal podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prado's podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shout outs go to Los Gatos, California, Granger, Texas, Gibraltar, British Overseas Territory, Kettering, Ohio, and Tillamook, Oregon. Oh, speaking of, makes me want to go to the store and go get some ice cream. They have some phenomenal ice cream. Mm -mm -mm. Thank you guys so much for stopping by. As always, it is extremely appreciated. Do you have a spooky story to share of your own? Maybe you want to be a voiceover on a future episode. Be sure to let me know. You can find me on my Facebook page, that being the Paranormal Prowlers podcast page. Or you could message me at paraprowl at gmail.com. See you next week.